Good morning, Hope Jersey City. I am so excited to be with you all this morning. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to come together and to just hear your word and to hear what you have to say to each one of us. God, I have studied your word as best I know how, but you must send your Holy Spirit. And I have prepared and prayed as best I know how, but you must preach this word, God. And Lord, I've written words on paper, but we pray that you might write these words on our hearts, God, that we would always know that we belong to you. It is through your son, Jesus Christ's name, that I pray. Amen. Questions about where we come from and where we belong are so important to our identity. You feel differently when you know that you belong to something or to someone. Joe Biden just announced that Kamala Harris will be his running mate for the presidency. So many people are excited about her because she seems to belong to so many different groups. She's a woman, she's a black person, she's an Indian person, she's an Asian, she's an AKA, that's a sorority, right? And so many others. She seems to belong to so many groups. And not just Senator Harris, but all of us. We pay money and we spend time to discover our family trees and where we belong. As an African-American woman, my roots go back to North Carolina. But for so long, this whole question of belonging was confusing for me. Where do I really come from? Where do my people come from? My church, Metro Community Church, is a multi-ethnic congregation with a large Asian population. When I ask a brother or a sister where they're from, they can easily point to a country, maybe South Korea. For our Latinx brothers and sisters, when you ask where their family is from, they can point to Dominican Republic or Cuba or Colombia. But with black Americans, it can be a little difficult. If you're from an island, you might be able to say Jamaica or Grenada or Trinidad. But for black Americans in particular, where do we point? Most of us rely on a state like North Carolina or South Carolina or Alabama. And yet we know that North Carolina is not the only answer there is. We recognize that we are from somewhere beyond the state lines of the United States. But where is that? We are not Nigerian, let's say, even if that's what Ancestry.com tells us. We don't speak any of the languages. We don't have any family there. It's completely foreign to us. And yet some of us feel like we don't quite belong in America either. This country hasn't necessarily loved us, so belonging can feel a little difficult. Rather than belonging, many black Americans feel a sense of rejection from this country. As such, belonging in America can be precarious. We find ourselves in this place on this one hand, wanting to belong to a history and a people beyond the shores of America, and yet on the other hand, knowing that we belong to America more than anywhere else. The question of belonging for all of us is complicated, and yet we do belong somewhere. In an unusual way, Jesus reminds us of where we belong in our text this morning. We're near the end of the book of Luke. Jesus is making his way towards the cross. The chief priests and the scribes are threatened by Jesus' authority and influence. His teaching is counter to their own. They considered him blasphemous. They wanted to get rid of him, but Jesus had gained so much popularity from his teaching and healing that the masses loved him. So they begin asking questions in an effort to trap Jesus. That is picked up in our text this morning. In this story, the chief priests, the scribes, and the others, they want to entrap Jesus. As we study how Jesus answers these questions, we see that the question presented is really not about paying taxes. Who wants to do that anyway? 
Instead, it calls us to consider the question, to whom do you belong? To whom do you belong? When we look at our text this morning, we see that the chief priests and the teachers of the, the law, also called the scribes, are looking for ways to build a case against Jesus by entrapping him. They try to soften Jesus up a bit as if they are on his side. They deliver false praise, saying that he not only speaks the truth and does what is right, he shows no partiality and he teaches God's way. And note, the praise is false not because of what they say is incorrect. They're actually absolutely accurate, but because of their motives. They're not trying to praise Jesus. They're trying to entrap him. So they ask him, is it right for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Don't you love this question? Aren't you secretly hoping that Jesus says, God forbid, thou shalt never pay taxes again? But not so. That's not what Jesus says. Instead, Jesus, the discerner of motives, sees right through what they are trying to do to him. But instead of yell or throw them out, he invites them in to this teachable moment. The chief priests and the teachers of the law wanted Jesus to look bad in front of the people. Using this question about taxes, they tried to position Jesus in opposition either to the Roman government or to the people of Israel. They were asking about the Roman tax. Those who were subject to Roman government were responsible for paying a poll tax to the Roman government. The tax was highly unpopular because some Jews believed that payment of the tax was an admission of Roman rule over them. So if Jesus said, do not pay taxes, he could find himself arrested for treason. But if Jesus were to say they should pay taxes to Caesar, Jesus would be seen as a traitor to the Jewish nation and would lose favor with the people. Does the coin belong to Caesar? That's not really the question. Do the people of Israel belong to Caesar? That's what they wanted to know. They're putting Jesus between a proverbial rock and a hard place, or so they thought. But rather than be baited and take sides, Jesus invites reflection. He's such a great teacher. He says, show me a denarius whose image and inscription is on it. He knew that it had the image of Caesar. So he tells them, then give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. He invites them and he invites us to reflect on the implicit question, how do you know where you belong? How do you know where you belong? Does possession necessarily mean belonging? Just because you possess something, does that mean that it belongs to you? Of course not. We know that belonging is not necessarily equate with possession. For example, if someone robs your car, they are in possession of it, but it doesn't necessarily belong to them. We may live in homes or in apartments. It doesn't mean that they belong to us. They may belong to a landlord or a bank or a mortgage company. For those incarcerated, the state or the federal government has technical possession of a person's body. They are not allowed to leave the facility. Their days and nights are ordered by someone else. But do our brothers and sisters who are incarcerated belong to the government? No. There's a difference between just being in possession of something and belonging to it. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law had coins in their possessions. But as much as the coin was in their possession, it didn't belong to them. We know this because Jesus tells them to give to Caesar what is Caesar's, meaning that although they held the coin in their hands, it really belonged to Caesar and not to them. So belonging is not about possession. And if belonging is not about possession, then what is belonging about? Look at the text. 
Jesus asked the question, show me a denarius. Whose image and inscription are on it? Whose image and inscription are on it? Jesus asked whose image and inscription are on the coin, and they respond, Caesar's. Jesus then tells them, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. The coin belongs to Caesar's. And how does Jesus know that? He knows it because the coin bears the image and the inscription of Caesar. Caesar commissioned the printing of the coin. It bears his image and inscription. And because the coin bears the image and inscription, it belongs to him and it is returned to him. The same hold true for us. Many people, especially women, struggle with this issue of image and inscription. The world creates a standard of beauty. People of color have been ridiculed for our skin color, our body shape, our hair texture, our culture. Though things are changing for decades, even centuries, any deviation was ridiculed or labeled exotic. If you're married, stay that way. Do you know that one of the questions on dating sites, and yes, I am outing myself, is about body type? How slender you are. Are you athletic? Are you curvy? Do you carry a few extra pounds? Freckles, they're cute on kids, but they're covered up in adults. Hair can be curly, but not too curly. Heaven forbid we actually love someone for their heart. But sometimes the question of whose image you bear is less about what others think of you and more about your own hurts and disappointments. Do you look like the father who abandoned your mother? Do you bear the image of a mother who never had time for you? Does your body bear the inscription of scars from childhood abuses or adult regrets? So the question of belonging is important and the question about whose image and inscription we bear is crucial. But Jesus asked, to asked us to reflect on the question, whose image and inscription do we actually bear? Whose image and inscription is actually imprinted upon us? This sounds like a simple question with a simple answer. We are made in the image and likeness of God. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God saw all that he made, and it was very good. Seems simple, but so many of us secretly despise ourselves. Our skin color, our hair length or texture, our body shapes, the lines of our eyes or the silhouettes of your noses. If you ever want to go down a rabbit hole, start watching YouTube videos about how to contour your nose or your cheeks to, to change your look. But we are made in the image of God. Everything about you, inside and out, is the image of God. Remind your children of this. Remind yourselves of this. Because if we listen to this world, it will make you believe that you are worth nothing, that your image is not beautiful, that your very presence is offensive. But this is not what the word of God says. Psalm 139 reminds us, for it is you who formed me in my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. That I know very well. God did not make mistakes when he made us. But even more than the physical image, we are created in the spiritual image of God. We are created to love and to be loved, and our inner being calls us to God. And if you have a relationship with God, you have been sealed with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has imprinted itself on you. The Holy Spirit is God's claim upon us that we are his very own. 
Because the Holy Spirit has sealed us, we can be assured of our salvation. It is a down payment, a guarantee of our place in heaven. So I ask, whose image and inscription are on you? We should be confident that if we bear the image of God and if we are saved, then we bear the inscription of God through the Holy Spirit. And the one whose image and inscription we bear is the one to whom we belong. The coin belonged to Caesar because Caesar's image and inscription were on it. We belong to God because it is God's image and inscription that are imprinted upon us. We belong to God. That is a reason for celebration this morning. We belong to God. Regardless of what others may say, regardless of what you may even feel yourself, we belong to God. Jesus asked the question, whose image and inscription are on it? And they say Caesar's. And how does Jesus respond? He says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. Just as the denarius with the image and inscription of Caesar is to be given back to Caesar, so we with the image and inscription of God are to be given back to God. The final question I ask then is, have you given to God what is God's? Have you given to God what is God's? Now, this is not about money. Although the Roman tax was the equivalent of a day's wages, and this is not about coins, this is about something deeper. This is about tribute. The word that Luke uses here that is translated as taxes is the Greek word phoros. It actually means tribute. It's what is paid to a conquering king or nation. In praying tribute, you acknowledge that this person or entity has power and authority over you. The coin means nothing to Jesus. Jesus is more concerned about us. In whose image are we made? Who has made an imprint on your soul? This is who you pay tribute to. If God has imprinted anything in your heart and soul, if God has made any change in your life, then you owe tribute to God. But if we took inventory of where we've placed our time, our talent, our resources, our hearts, what would it really reveal? Of all the things this pandemic has done, it should have offered us the opportunity to really evaluate and take a hard look at our lives. For many of us, these five months have offered an extended time with family, time we would not otherwise have had. For some, you realize that you actually hate your job and can't imagine spending the rest of your life doing, your, doing this work. For now, for others, you may have realized that you have spent so much of your energy in relationships and jobs and hobbies and obsessions that actually don't give you life. And others recognize the futility of the rat race. Hopefully for all of us, the fear of an invisible, incurable disease lurking in our midst caused us to remember how desperately we really need God, how in a world of uncertainty, that God is our constant. And hopefully, we have become a more grateful people. Are we living as if God is the most important being in our lives? Are we offering up ourselves as tribute to our Heavenly Father? Where have you given yourself over to things other than God? This week, I invite you to take some time to ask yourself this question, because we owe tribute to the one in whose image and inscription we bear. And since we bear the image and inscription of God, we owe our tribute and our lives 
all of it, we owe it to God. Giving to God what is God's can be difficult because we assume that we have competing interests. They asked Jesus this question because their government, conflict, their government commitments conflicted with their obligations to God, or so they thought. Jesus' response, however, highlights that we are citizens of two worlds, yes, this earthly world and of heaven. We have obligations to the earthly government, like voting. Please vote however you vote. Please be a part of the jury duty selection. Please pay your taxes. But our greater commitment is to the Lord. God always trumps the government. And should there be a time when our obedience to God conflicts with our obedience to the government, then we must put God first. In the book of Acts, when Peter and John were told to stop preaching about God, they proclaimed, we must obey God rather than human authority. When there is a conflict, God's law must prevail. It's clear that even though the chief priests and the scribes claim to love God, their loyalty is not to him. They deny the power and authority of Jesus, and here they show their utter disdain for God by aligning themselves with the Roman government to have Jesus arrested or killed. They are looking to trap Jesus, and they do it in a manner where they will not have any blood on their hands. But who cares about a silly coin when you've given your heart over to the enemy? But since we are made in the image of God and bear his inscription, we give God our tribute, our worship, our loyalty, our hearts, our lives. We render our faith, our obedience, our worship to God. We acknowledge and willingly submit to his power and authority over our lives. Our lives are lived for Jesus. God wants all of us and every part of our lives because he has placed his image and his inscription on us and in us. We belong to him, and he wants us back. We belong to God. It's an incredible thing to know that we belong to God. When we doubt where we fit in in this world, we can be assured that we belong to God. When other, tries to, when other people try to put us in categories in which we do not belong, it's okay because we belong to God. When people create cliques and you find yourselves on the outside of them, it doesn't really matter because we ultimately belong to God. And that is no small notion. You belong to the Alpha and the Omega. You belong to the creator of this world and all that is in it. You belong to the Almighty One. You belong to the All-Powerful One. You belong to the Redeemer, to the Giver of life. You belong to the Most High God, to the Everlasting Father. You belong to the Savior of the world, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You belong to God, and God wants you back. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that we belong to you. God, we are so grateful that no matter what we look like, no matter what we feel like on the inside, that your image and your inscription has been divinely imprinted upon us and on our lives. God, we thank you for your provision. We thank you for your grace but most of all, we thank you for Jesus Christ. And so, Lord God, as we go into this week, as we challenge ourselves to live more like you, God, we offer ourselves back as tribute to you because you have made such an impression on our lives. It is our honor and our privilege and our utter joy to give our lives back to you. Encourage us where we are weak, Heavenly Father. 
strengthen us where we are, are falling down. God, give us the boldness to live out our faith in you. It is through your son, Jesus Christ's name, that we pray. Amen. I now invite you to an extended time of worship. God bless you.